Welcome to Transition of Style, the podcast that explores the ways in which personal style and identity meet. Transition of Style is sponsored by QueerCut, a global gender-free marketplace and online community that connects LGBT shoppers with queer-friendly brands and products. Welcome back to Transition of Style. I'm your host, Corinne. What's going on? Today, I have with me sex educator and performance artist, Oscar. Oscar, what's up? Hi. How are you? I am good. So happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. Oscar, I want you to tell the Transition of Style audience a little bit about you and what you do, um, and then we can delve into some questions, because I think this is going to be a very interesting interview. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my name is Oscar. I exist in three persons. So there is Patricia, Mm -hmm. then there's Oscar, of course, and finally there's Sinclair. I identify as a genderqueer femborg because I feel that my existence is an gathering of so many different entities that are here to play and explore and to gender punk everything, if that makes sense. Okay, <laughs> okay we are off to a good start. We're off to a very beautiful start. Okay, so listen, you do have these three entities, yeah. okay? Before we go into the entities, because I want to hear all about that, yes. what do you do as, what is your job? What is your uh, trade in life right okay. now? My trade, I... I am paid as a sex educator for a nonprofit clinic network. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not doing that, I am figuring out what it actually means to be a performance artist. Mm -hmm. I identify as emerging in the sense that I acknowledge that there's so many people before me and there's so much that I have to learn even before I can begin to confidently say I'm here and really doing this work. Mm -hmm. And so right now I'm doing a lot of reading, learning and reflecting on what conversations I'm trying to have as an artist. Amazing. Okay, amazing. And you'll have to tell me something about the performance art you actually do. Gotcha. But we can delve into that later. Gotcha. So we're going to get into a couple of different things. <laughs> we're going to start with the entities. I want to know all about that. All right. So tell me about the entities. Tell me why they exist and mm. how they came to be. Gotcha. So Patricia is my birth name. And Patricia by virtue of culture, by virtue of being a child of the immigrant experience, coming to America at the age of five, being sent back for middle school and high school and coming back, there's been a flip-flopping. So a lot of my developmental ages has been spent trying to make sense of what it means to have Ghanaian heritage and trying to navigate and assimilate into American culture because we thought we had to. Right. Uh, as a result, Patricia's very timid, Patricia's nervous, Patricia's shy, and Patricia wants to do good by everyone. Mm-hmm. This genuine desire to be perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And in, in response to that, Oscar was born. Oscar came about around sophomore year of college mm-hmm. when we were tired of this idea of perfection and realizing that this this holding back that Patricia was doing was not serving us at all. So it kind of Oscar just burst out out of nowhere one day. And I thought, I like Oscar. I really (laughs) like Oscar. And if I could hone all of Oscar's energy, I would feel the most me. But then I realized that Oscar is fiery. Oscar is prone to wiling out. And Oscar bullies Patricia because Patricia is shy and Oscar wants to bust out all the time. Right. So in acknowledging that Sinclair yes. was born A with third birth. entity came to be. <laughs> Somebody Sinclair. had to referee this game. Yes, Sinclair says, hey, Oscar, we, we appreciate all that you are, 
but we want to acknowledge the potential to do harm. We yeah. want to ensure that we're still ethical with the ways in which we're navigating and interacting with people. And we want to make sure that Patricia feels like they don't have to be silenced or be boxed away or shelved. At the same time, Sinclair talks to Patricia and acknowledges that Patricia is very shy and Patricia has the potential to be taken advantage of specifically because they want to give all the time. Right. So there needs to be balance and Sinclair right. is that inherent balance. Well, so would you say that from having the balance that Sinclair acknowledges that there are parts of both Patricia and Oscar that are both needed and necessary oh, in your much. life, right? Very much. Right? There is not, neither one of them are all bad or all good, right? <laughs> true, true. Um, Patricia enables me to stay employed <laughs> because there's order to Patricia. So Patricia's paying the bills, basically. Yeah, Patricia needs to get the job done. Patricia yeah. is interested in what is our future? How can we go forward? Yes. And and so that this is how we thrive. Right. Oscar is saying, don't get caught up in working that you forget to live yes, you know that yes, there are people that yes. you can be having fun with and exploring I mean, I like, with I, I like them all but Oscar sounds like a really good friend of mine like, so I'm, I'm not mad at Oscar in any way <laughs> but they sound like three amazing entities and which I guess encompasses one whole entity which is the overall entity which is yes, you and all wonderful parts I so love them all. they're what, in constant conversation I bet I bet <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> so that's wonderful. I kind of love the way you've broken that out. I think that we can all, I don't know, ascribe to that sort of notion in that um, there are different parts of ourselves, you know. There's different different parts of ourselves, some that are, are a little more serious and, and a little more timid and shy and some that are a little more fiery. And there needs to be a balance, you know. It's it's all about balance in life. But I love that you've broken it out into entities and, and given them names <laughs> and personalities that you are actually acknowledging, which is actually really beautiful. Thank you. I, I really enjoy that. So let me ask you, if when you are with your family, I'm mm -hmm. guessing Patricia is like, you know, yeah, Patricia, Patricia is like four fronts. Yes, I bet. <laughs> Patricia is the good daughter. The yeah. unfortunately, Patricia is perceived. Oh, Patricia is straight, mm -hmm. and they just have to be because I yeah. haven't come out to my family, and yes. I don't think I ever will because it's unnecessary. Yeah. But Patricia acknowledges that queerness is not something that is understood, or my queerness specifically mm -hmm. is not understood. And in order to make sure we are safe. Yes. And are not losing the support that family, my nuclear and birth family provides. Mm -hmm. We will mutate and shift the ways that we need to. Understood. Yeah. Understood. It's, I mean, it's about safety. So Definitely. you keep yourself safe and do what you need to do to do that. Um, so I'm guessing that when you're with your family, both Sinclair and Oscar take a seat. <laughs> they, oh, yes. Those take a seat and they are not really, not you know, there. welcomed in those environments. It's like <laughs> they can't come to those environments. And that's, and it is what it is, right? It's fair. So I'm hoping that you do have the parts of your life where you can live out those entities and you can still be, you know, queer and in, enjoy those parts of your life. So as long as you're somehow living those parts out, Think that's what's important oh definitely yeah there's a time and place for all of them oh fantastic. and there's definitely a space for them to all exist at the same time mm -hmm. so i i'm not sad that about the ways in which i have to navigate my family understood you know understood understand if you're okay with it i'm 100 <laughs> okay with it. i just want you to be happy so let me ask you um let's talk a little bit about your work as mm. a sex educator right so um tell me about the students you teach tell me about how you got into sex education um, and tell me about what about it you, you love about it. Got you. How I got into sex education. I was a pre-med student in college. Wow. 
And then I just told myself, nope, can't do that. <laughs> then my dad says, yeah, just do pharmacy school. It's easier. Got in there. was like, oh, I actually need to sleep. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we realized yeah. can't do that either. Right. Then I did public health telling myself public health is good enough. You can still apply to med school with it. So mm-hmm. we'll be okay. And then I realized that I was, I had no idea because I knew with myself, I was never going to go back to med school or think about it. Right. And public health was so broad that. I just felt like I would graduate with a general degree and not know what I should be doing. Yeah. Then, thank God my school demands that before you graduate, you need to do an internship. Yeah. And it was during that internship that I met a sex education organization called Masakane, hmm. the Masakane Center. Okay. And that's when I started understanding my own sense of anatomy and the importance of sex education and after that internship ended i told myself this is it we have found it we're just going to enter it so after graduation i applied to jobs where i could be a sex educator or a health educator and community healthcare network Mm -hmm. saw me they liked my vision Mm -hmm. and they said come through let's build i've been with them for a little over a year now great and uh during the day i go into schools and facilitate evidence-based program. Evidence-based program just meaning that this has this is a curriculum that has been researched and yes. people, our funders and the state approves of it as working to right. specifically prevent HIV right. um, pre- or educate on HIV prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while that's happening that's happening while students are in school and then after school I super I help supervise three eight teens yeah and so we teach them to essentially belittle us they become our peer educators they'll mm. go into schools with us they'll go into oh wow that's great yeah oh what a we'll beautiful do- <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> they'll do workshops so we'll let them take the lead because we understand that teens talking to teens yes. is more effective than 100%. adult talking down to one, them one that's amazing so are these teens that are that are also aspiring to be sex educators no, or not really they not- they're just in this moment they realize that they they align themselves with what our mission. Yes. And so over the summer we'll train them. But after the school year ends, we essentially have to reapply again. And some people might say, Hey, this was nice, but it wasn't for me. Right. Or they'll want to keep working. But then afterwards, some may decide that I want to go to college and do theater. I want to go to college and do art. So there's no, uh, there's, there's no actual, you want to ultimately in the trajectory of your life, be a sex educator, a health sure. educator. That's why you're doing sure. this. You just right. like this for now right. and we are here for now. Right, right. And that's fine. And it's, yeah. it's okay for it to be for the time being. But that's amazing that you're bringing the kids into it because you're right. It is going to be more effective <laughs> when it's kids. That's They're going to listen to their own, right? Within te- within Community Healthcare Network, the program is called Teens Pact, and we're very youth-centered. We believe that young people are capable of making the best decisions for themselves. Right. So when we start to talk down on them or keep information away from them and keep resources away from them, we are doing more harm than this idea of protection that we keep being told. Right. And so anything that we do, it is for the young people that we work with directly or the young people that we are hoping um, we are able to connect mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. In order for them to feel like I am in control and I have agency exactly. over my body and my life. Awesome. Yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, so tell me, you mentioned doing evidence-based curriculums, it's called. <laughs> yeah. So is is there more to it than that? Is there is there, is it only what is researched that you're teaching or is there more to it? Got you. So evidence-based curriculum is essentially how we get funded. Right. And so there is a need for that mm-hmm. and we are thankful for it. But in addition to that, we also have a curriculum that we created ourselves yep. called More Than Just Sex. Mm. And so mm-hmm. it is more expansive in the sense that it talks about healthy and unhealthy relationships. Right. It talks about 
pure pressure or body image or self-esteem, self-care. Uh, it talks about safer sex in mm-hmm. a very fun way. Mm-hmm. It encompasses anything within the realms of sex and sexuality that is not just HIV prevention. Right. If that makes sense. Right. So does. in that, and when we do more than just sex, we can talk about other STIs. Mm-hmm. We can talk about um, pregnancy, pregnancy options, uh, and then if there's something that they want to talk about that we don't have, we'll sit down and we'll ask ourselves, well, why don't we have this? Right. Let's let's put some energy it. to make it. Yeah, yeah that's, well, that's <laughs> nice that you can that you have um, a sort of license to do that, right. right? To create what you think needs to be heard about. Um, and so, do you create that curriculum yourself? Is that something that you like? How does it come to be? Got you. So when I got to Teens Pack, there was already a curriculum. And then our supervisor, Tasha, love you. Uh, she, <laughs> Tasha's got a <laughs> She put two of my coworkers in charge of revamping and updating the curriculum. Yeah. And so what I did in helping that was just give resources when I could. Mm-hmm. And then they took those resources and created an outline for what uh, our the health literacy department felt like was appropriate. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And so you do you feel like there's a good response from the, the kids about it? Like, yeah, they definitely you... like more than just sex than the evidence-based curriculum. Of course. Yeah. Uh, and because it allows for more openness, right? When I'm mm-hmm. doing evidence-based curriculum, I'm coming in here and I'm saying, hey, what does it mean to be proud, be responsible? And this is the meaning, this is HIV and this is AIDS and this is how this happens. But then when we enter, my first thing is, why don't you tell me what you know? And uh, we right. can build from there. Right. There, it goes back to them in the sense that generally the idea of facilitation is I'm not here to teach. I'm not. I'm here hoping that you learn from me, but I'm also going to learn from you. Yes. I'm not here to make you feel like you don't know anything because ultimately you know the best about yourself. Exactly. And so let's have conversations. Let's see where this takes us. Yeah, and, and I imagine it makes it. Uh, it makes it so they're more engaged yes. in that way, right? Yes, definitely more. Yeah, engaged. because otherwise it's just, it really is just talking down to them, and they're just basically like. <laughs> These are what, you know, here's, here's the research. I'm passing it on to you. Gotcha. And it's like, you know, we wonder how much of it they're actually retaining it, you know, and retaining in that, in that respect. Right. You know, it's like when you can have a full conversation with them about what's really going on in their lives right. and they can share, then I'm guessing there's a lot of education that can happen in that, in that regard, right? And I don't want to completely trash talk um, the evidence-based curriculum. <laughs> Nor should you. Um, not, not at all. And I apologize. It seems that that's what I've been doing. No, you're um, not. Evidence-based curriculum was birthed out of a need that they saw, so it is helping to bridge a gap. And I think just what my intentions or what I've been trying to say rather poorly is saying that there is a need for balance that more than just sex kind of allows. And there's the concept of balance again. (laughs) Funny how that worked its way back into our conversation. (laughs) But again, balance is very important, right? So the evidence and the research is important, but Mm -hmm. also having real conversations about these kids and because they're engaging in sex. Let's be, let's be real. Like it's ridiculous to think they're not, but they need, we need to have real conversations so they're educated. So they understand, so they can ask the questions that they they have right. like it sounds like it's very necessary you know so i'm hoping that you get to do more and more of that because mm. it sounds like yeah it sounds like where you really shine and you really I love do. I do, I do. yeah that's awesome i love that oh very nice very nice okay let's talk about your performance art performance art. yeah tell me about it so <laughs> so what what kind of performance art are we talking about Yeesh. how did you get into it Ooh. um what about performance art like made you say yeah i want to i'm gonna try that i want to give that a shot got you so, working as a sex educator is great and I love it. 
And I thought that for a while was the most fulfilling thing ever until I would come home and I'd be tired because I work in Brooklyn yeah. and I live in Jersey. Oh my goodness. So by the time I got home, I just wanted to rest. I wanted to chill and reset for the next day. Right. But then I, I live in a creative home. So it's essentially a two family home with a basement mm-hmm. that my friends and I just turned into a creative space. On the basement, people make music. On the first floor, Amazing. it's like the family oriented <laughs> space. And then yeah. on the second floor, people are doing photo shoots there. People are painting there. And I would come home and I'd see all of this magic happening. As oh soon as gosh. I would step in the house, yeah. I could hear people making music in the basement and then I'd walk all the way to the second floor and somebody's painting or doing things and I would just be going to my room. Yeah. And, and you're like, I want a piece of that. And I was like, yeah. Yes. I, I know I have talent right. somewhere. Can we? <laughs> <laughs> so then I said, what are, what are we going to do? I have, I know that I'm not a singer. God did not. Ancestors <laughs> were not there for that. Um, They're not going to give you everything. Okay? <laughs> not at all. I just want <laughs> And I'll give you everything. <laughs> I grew up very uncomfortable with my body because when we came to America, there was a shift in diet, there was a shift in energy, there was a shift in my ability to see my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ate a lot of food that essentially became, I guess what I'm trying to say, I started using food as a coping mechanism yes. for being here. Understood. And I essentially spent all of my youth being bigger than my age. Mm-hmm. So people would see me and think that I was a whole adult, mm. even in the sixth grade, you oh, know, geez. Okay. which yeah. made Shit. it easy for, I know that cat, oh, oh, cat calling is bad, but ooh, I feel like I got, I got it twice as yeah, bad. Yeah. Um, Especially at that age. <laughs> and then not understanding it, being a sixth grader and people thinking that you are a working adult oh and God. that, that not, yeah. and not having my parents around because they were busy working to have this conversation with made me feel like I had to do whatever I could to make myself smaller. Yes. So right. I've been always, I felt very rigid in my body growing yeah. up. Yeah. You need and to protect yourself. Yeah. You need to protect yourself. Yes. <laughs> so now as a performance artist, I knew that one thing I really wanted to do was have a conversation with my body. Mm-hmm. And this conversation is rooted in size mm-hmm. and the politics of fatness mm-hmm. and at the same time how that connected to my blackness Mm -hmm. or lack thereof because growing up in i grew up in the hood of newark Mm -hmm. and folks were like you're african you're not black and i'm like oh what does that mean it's always such an interesting conversation it really is okay i believe you but i'm not white and i'm not anything else so you're like i beg to differ (laughs) and i so a part of me i can't even blame them i can't be completely um the ways in which i was otherized i learned to do the same otherization because even though we were uh, working class, my parents were like, you are better than black people and you need to have that mentality. And so you're it's getting not it just... from both ends, right? <laughs> yeah. You're not getting it from both and ends. I Isn't that even... yeah. oh, oh my God. Oh. And I can't even blame them because it is a yeah. mentality that we were fed watching, being told like in Ghana that black people are stereotypically lazy yeah. and they're all the yeah. negative things that you could potentially yes. hear. Yes. We were taught. Yeah. So the idea was to be better than and aspire to whiteness, even if they weren't using the word white. Right. That's what it essentially but that's what they was. Were do- yeah. yeah. Right. So when I became queer, I realized that, Oh, there's a connection between blackness and queerness that I am now ready to unpack. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm using my body to have a conversation on size, I was like, intersectionality is real. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in blackness. Let's bring in queerness. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in heritage and see how we make sense of this. Wow. And so... <laughs> okay, now I just feel like I need to see this performance now. Because I'm like, it's not so powerful. 
Wow, you're you're like really doing some powerful concepts. And that's incredible. There's a lot going on. Wow. Okay. I tell me about it. So tell me. Got you. So so how is it playing out? How's it how's it played out? So I was like, okay, Ben, you want to be a performance artist? What do you do now? You have this desire. You have this want. Where do you go? And then I saw something from the Brooklyn Arts Exchange. They were having an emergent performance artist uh, training, mm-hmm. and for eight weeks. I had an instructor, Heather, Heather Maria asks, and she essentially made performance arts seem accessible to me. Mm-hmm. And so people were in there and they had already some understanding of their idea of performance. And I'm like, I'm new, y'all. Don't, don't pay attention to me. I'm just here on the sideline. Heather was like, no, right. I need you to step up and step I, I, in. And also, like, oh. there's no sideline. <laughs> exactly. there's, there's no sideline. Just go. And, and at the end of it all, my ultimate performance was having one of my apartment mates create a closet what i thought would be a closet Mm -hmm. but when it was created it looked more like a fitting room right because it had uh, a curtain yeah and i thought to myself this is beautiful my closet is not a closet because i am not ashamed of it and this idea of coming out is utter trash but it is a fitting room in the sense that i get to go inside pick whatever I want from there, put it on and then come out and present however and go back in it as I please. Mm. I know that I'm constantly doing this because mm. Patricia's birthed out of needing to fit in and take things off and put them back on, come out and come back in. Oscar's birthed out of that too. So mm-hmm. yes, my closet is a fitting room that allows me to shape shift for the purposes of self-preservation. Right. And so I came out of a fitting room or the closet inside a black plastic bag and I had when the performance was happening I had been in there for about five minutes in that black plastic bag so I'm like okay so this performance needs to happen now or I'm going to I'm, I'm going to suffocate and die wow so I had one of my uh, partners enter the stage mm-hmm. and have a conversation on the phone and I started knocking and there was like a projection happening started knocking he hears the knocks he opens the curtains from the closet and I drop out in a plastic bag and it's like oh but it's time to start moving. I moved and I'm tearing myself out of it. And wow. then I invite people to paint the closet because it's white. Yeah. And I understand that um, the construct of a closet is rooted in whiteness. Mm-hmm. The idea of coming out mm-hmm. is rooted in whiteness. Mm-hmm. The, the unacceptability and the phobias are very structural things. And so I realized that I probably will not be able to dismantle this. They will not be dismantled in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. But if I am here and I'm interacting with it, I want to get a say in how it looks. And so we're going to paint over this white structure and it's going to look completely different. And so for eight minutes, I did that with my chosen family and folks who ultimately decided to come on the stage. Wow. I was like, that's my one performance that I have today. But But it sounds so powerful. It happened in December. And now we are in March. We have, we entered March. Uh, We had just entered. Oh, yeah. You're doing well. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) We've entered March and I'm thinking to myself, this is a great time to think about next steps. Where do you see your, how do you see your artistry growing? And so I'm spending a lot of time looking at people who are doing performance art and trying to see what that means for me. Is this something that I want to get paid for? Mm. Is is there how, how much of a future as a teaching artist or and, and teaching performance artist is there for this craft? Right. Yeah. Right. So you're doing that. You're doing the, the thing right now of just gathering data like yes. do I want Thank this you. Right? Like oh, figuring out this wordiness to say yes. gathering data <laughs> well that's what you're doing though you're, you're deciding this is this right for me right. do I prefer to do this does this make me shine does it make me feel like joy and light you know right. so I hope so because it sounds like just from that last 
performance you did that there's you have things to say so i i i'm secretly hoping you do i'm, I'm crossing <laughs> my fingers over here because i want to i want to see some of this right. but you know whatever you decide is obviously your choice but like i'm hoping you do because that you. sounds amazing thank you. wow thank you for sharing that no problem incredible incredible so now we're going to move on to mm-hmm. talking about identity so tell me how you identify mm-hmm. and then you know i'll probably have some follow-up questions i got you uh, earlier, I spoke about being a genderqueer femborg, mm-hmm. and being genderqueer was a necessary language for me to find because when I was in college, I wanted to say I was trans, but I thought that my understanding of trans was that it was still within the binary, mm-hmm. that you are a woman who has to transition to a man. Mm-hmm. And so senior year of high school, uh, senior year of college, when... I tried to do a physical transition. It didn't necessarily happen, which just shook me. Um, and I thought to myself, darn, I, I guess I'm not trans then because there are people who've had these realized experiences that I haven't had. And so it would be disrespectful to um, even call myself that. Mm. And now in retrospect, it looks like I'm thinking about the ways in which we police ourselves so that other people don't police us, right. um, which is complete trash (laughs) but then i um realized also that if it forced me to get in touch with my body it forced me to realize that i adore my breast and uh having them removed would not make me feel any more me than i wanted to feel and my genitals are there and they make me happy and so there's nothing wrong with my body and if i'm not calling myself trans then there has to be something i'm calling myself so Mm -hmm. i said gender queer in the sense that gender if people think that is a necessary construct, have that. But mm-hmm. for me, I'm still waiting for people to tell me what it means to be a man or a woman because we've had that language. Right. Um, I was walking down the street one day and a woman asks me, are you a man or a woman? And I say, I'm neither. So she goes into a, well, I don't know the kind of God you serve. And I'm like, oh, oh <laughs> okay, that's where we are. But then I asked her, what does it mean to be a man? Right. And she says... Can she answer you? No, because right. it's a... It's not about genitals, right? right? Because if we if we do that, what what is that? Um, it's not about genitals, and it's not about it's not about the ways in which people should behave or perform mm-hmm. because that's that's shifty and that's and that's beautifully shifty. So when it comes down to it, is it not a person's decision? And, and they were like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. I kind of love that you gave it back to her. I'm gonna walk away for her to even come up to you and ask a question like that. Like that was she, that was just completely out of line. Very out of line. Like, what are you doing right now? Are you serious? Are you going to walk up to somebody and ask this question? And I think that, I think I Incredible. I entertained it that way because Sinclair was out that day. If Oscar was out, oh, it would have looked completely different because I'm Oscar. I'm like afraid. I'm like, what happens if Oscar was out? Oscar, Oscar is, Oscar is interested in the fact that the person would ask that question, right? Yeah. And it's this idea of, oh, if you've asked this question, then I have completely fucked your perception of what gender is and yeah. and that is why we are here so carry on we've probably done some hysterically ridiculous thing and then walked away yeah and that would have been fine too so my thing is as long as i'm getting people to question who am i what am i yeah. then i am happy in my existence good is for you. completely good for you. Good for you. but listen you're taking on a lot because yes. because some people would say why do i have to engage in this conversation right. with you like what would i do that but you're taking a software stance in it in that you're like you know what i'm gonna make you think about this now right right? i'm not just gonna discard you i'm not gonna just you know shut you down i'm gonna make you think about this you know now 
did this woman walk away thinking about it? We're not sure. I think she probably went to her Bible and like sat there for a couple hours. But but I think it's I love I love the intention behind what you were doing. I respect the the intention behind what you were doing. So good for you. Awesome. So you 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 so you are you're genderqueer. What what would you say your pronouns are? My pronouns. My pronouns are Vu and they. Everybody knows they, but Vu kind of gets people like, oh, what's that? Yeah. Tell us about Vu. So in French, vu is just a very formal way to say you, and it's spelled V-O-U. But mm. my pronoun is spelled V-U because before Christianity was imposed on my tribe, we were we practiced something within a larger religion called Fong. Mm-hmm. And it's traditional in the sense that we believe that there is a God. But then talking to God can be kind of hard because homies all the way... <laughs> Um, pretty big. Homie's pretty big. I kind of love um, the guy was just referred to as homie. Yeah. Like, it's, it's now something yeah. I might have to take on homie's myself. Like, <laughs> homie's bigger than Beyonce. And imagine, like, if you were trying to talk to Beyonce, you wouldn't just walk up to Beyonce. You would, walk, like, try to get in between somebody they knew. Yeah, of course. Try to babysit Blue Ivy for something, right? <laughs> and so because of that, we have lesser gods that help communicate our desires and wants. And we also acknowledge ancestors because they came before. Mm-hmm. And they laid the groundwork for us to do what we can now. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, there's so much intentionality with this religion that it sucks that I have no access to it. My parents are Christian now. They don't identify with Fong or Vudun. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that I'm just probably going to have no access to it either. I'm going to Ghana in August. Oh, awesome. And I thought that I'd be able to go to like the village that my father was raised in and do some learning. But no, you do not go to your village without the people that came before you. Yeah. And so I realized that I definitely will not have access to this because mm. nobody in my life now wants access to it. That's a shame. And, yeah, so I'm trying to reimagine what that religion looks like for me. Mm-hmm. And taking the pronoun Vu was a first step to that. It makes me feel closer to a religion that I never had mm-hmm. but really want. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it makes me feel true. Yeah. True to self. Right. And true to the heritage that I have, even if nobody else thinks so. Oh, that's, I mean, that's amazing. That's, that's fantastic. I love it. I want to ask you, though, so um, identifying as Vu, identifying as they, mm-hmm. how does that get communicated in what you wear and mm-hmm. what you choose to put on your body? Mm-hmm, got you. Vu speaks to this inherent simplicity, I think. Mm-hmm. It exists and it asks no questions. Mm-hmm. The same way in which when I'm picking out clothes, I want to take items that seem unquestioning. You see it and you're like, oh, that's 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 interesting, but it's just basic. It's regular. Right. But then when I piece things together, it makes you think, oh, that's actually really nice. Where do you get your style from? It's like, it's an, uh, I call myself a sim- simple chic. In the, sen- <laughs> in the sense that everything that I buy, it's either thrifted or I got it from JCPenney or mm-hmm. I got it from some department store. But when I put it together, it makes you wonder why you're not shopping at department stores. <laughs> I <And> love it. <laughs> the same way who makes you think, I've yes. never heard this, but I have so much appreciation for it and it, it, it awes me. So that's what I think that I am able to do. I enter into spaces and people are awed. 
Yes. Yeah. I, I get that from you. But it's so simple. I, but, but you know what? But but there is a special ingredient. And you know what that <laughs> ingredient is, right? So we don't care if it came from JCPenney. You're wearing it. Right? right? You are bringing... You're, you're putting you're putting on this clothing and you're communicating something that comes from within you mm-hmm. so that it makes it look you know people see it once they behold it they're like wait a minute what's going on there like <laughs> like you're telling me you got this from a thrift store you got mm-hmm. this from jc you you know you went and got this from some bargain basement and it's you put it together and it looks like this but somebody else could wear that same outfit and it's not going to look the same way mm-hmm. So that's there's something coming out of you. Gotcha. So let let's own that because you mm. you're doing something right. So what I hear is the secret ingredient <laughs> is vu. It, it, mm. it, it is that is exactly what I'm trying. The secret ingredient is vu, and vu is good, and vu is like like taking bargain basement stuff and making it fabulous. So I respect that. That is beautiful. I love it. I love it. Okay, so let's talk about the question that I like to ask all my guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love for you to finish this sentence. I feel most authentic when? I feel most authentic when I'm naked. And when you asked me earlier, I, I, when you asked me over email, I thought to myself, I'm probably going to say naked and it's going to sound like <laughs> some basic silly thing to say. And then I thought, I'm going to think deeper and have like some better response. But no, it's still naked. But at this time when I'm saying I feel most authentic when I'm naked, I mean both the physicality of being naked because it forces me to accept myself as I am. Yes. Um, One of my lovers the other day told me, hey, it looks like you're converting currency because you got some pounds on you. (laughs) And at first I was hurt. I'm like, I'm getting bigger. What? (laughs) But then I thought, what is wrong with getting bigger? This person did nothing but state a fact. And the fact that it hurt me means that there I'm holding on to some mm. some rigid structure of what it means to be acceptable. And so that was not okay for me. So the first thing I did was Come on now. Come get on with naked. it. This I, is what I, I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> when I feel shame about my body, the first thing I need to do is get naked. Good for you. And look at myself, like really look at myself and then play music and then dance to myself and watch myself yes. do that and watch myself move. And uh in addition to that, that nakedness has to translate into my emotional life. Mm. I love having people in my life that I feel like I can be completely vulnerable with. Mm-hmm. That the language that I use, even if they don't understand it, they are willing to be patient with me. And there's no pride there. Yes. And I realize that sometimes, I'm, I'm understanding now that sometimes we lose people. And that hurt for me because I had so much emotional life invested in folks that I thought that I would never get people to understand me. But Mm -hmm. the beautiful thing about life is that as people are leaving, people are entering. So I'm seeing that I'm constantly around people who are allowing me to be naked with my thoughts and Mm -hmm. my feelings and my energy. And so that grounds me and allows me to be intentional. And that is what ensures that I will always feel authentic. God, that's beautiful. Oh my god. I don't I don't know. I'm just like, please don't cry on the mic. Don't cry on the mic. I'm trying really hard not to have a moment right now. That was absolutely incredible. I mean, whoa. So powerful. I mean, you just you 
under you just basically underscore the importance of authenticity and why it's so important it's just like this knowing of yourself and this is appreciation of yourself and and this putting of yourself out into the world beautiful thank you uh, and that's incredible oh my god that's a oh, beautiful answer i love it thank you thank you thank you all right so this is the time when you get to plug okay so I'm hoping to God that there's going to be more performance art because I need to be in on that. I know you're doing several things. You like, tell me about where to find you on gotcha. on social media. Gotcha. Um, tell me about any projects you're working on. Just tell tell the listeners gotcha. about where to find you. What's going on? Hello, listeners. If you're still here, and don't <laughs> oh, hate me. Oh, they're still here. For rambling. Right. Um, I, I ramble. It's okay. Love by, me still. By the way, they might just be in the background crying, <laughs> but they're here. Don't worry. <laughs> I am right now. You can find me on Instagram because Facebook is kind of non-existent to me right now. Sure. Um, I am Dammit underscore Oscar and Dammit is spelled D-A-M-M-I-T underscore O-S-K-A-R. Mm. And let's link there and take it from there. Yeah. Uh, projects that I'm working on right now. I, on my way here, actually, I thought to myself. I haven't written prose in a while, mm -hmm. so I'm going to make a zine. That is the next thing. We are going to make a zine and incorporate it with performance somehow. So yes, oh, yeah, that there will happen. be more that performance needs to happen. Happening. That needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm telling you that needs to happen. Make that happen. <laughs> Please happen. make that happen. That's you heard amazing. it here first, y'all. Oh, I love it. So Dem and Oscar, you guys got to get in and please follow them on Instagram and like just... Keep in touch so that you know what they're doing because obviously it's going to be incredible. Whatever it is, I, I'm kind of guaranteeing you it's going to be incredible. And let's collab, fam. Let's yeah, uh, let's yeah. connect. Let's we put in work. Ah, beautiful, Oscar. What a pleasure. <laughs> what a true pleasure. Yeah, the pleasure was mine. Oh Who would invite goodness. me to come and talk about myself for uh, however honestly, long? Honestly, uh, you you may be invited back to talk about yourself. I I truly truly enjoy this interview with you. It, it's just been incredible. Um, you shared so much. I love what you're doing with the sex education, this performance art that you're looking into doing. I really hope you plan on doing more of it. And like, just please keep in touch. I wanna I wanna know what you're doing. Thank you. It's going to be powerful. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. So guys, thank you so much for listening today. Um, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Um, make sure you rate and comment and come back next week and listen to us. And thank you so much for listening to us today. Bye. Bye. <laughs>